Hello there and welcome to the podcast. It's John Markar here and I thought I'd just jump in with a very quick but very important message that I wanted to share with you before you delve into this episode of the Driven Chat podcast. This podcast, the Driven Chat podcast, has now come to an end. But don't worry, I'm not going to stop you from listening to this episode or from catching up with the 185 episodes that we've recorded in this format. I just wanted to let you know that if you're looking for our new episodes recorded after December 2023, then you'll need to seek out our new podcast, The Driven Podcast. You can find The Driven Podcast in all the usual podcast platforms, including, chances are, the one that you're listening to this one on right now. So please do enjoy this episode, share it with a friend by all means. But when it's done, don't forget to search for the new podcast, The Driven Podcast, and subscribe to the new format to hear the new stuff. To make life easy, head on over to the Driven website via driven.site. There you will find links through to the new podcast, including links to your preferred podcast platform. And hey, whilst you're there, why not check out everything else we do, including hand-picked automotive news stories, car and bike reviews, video features, and even more. For now, though, I'll let you enjoy this episode. And I will remind you again at the end of the episode, but for the future reference, this message is approximately 1 minute and 30 seconds long. That's six clicks on the 15-second skip button. Enjoy. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my name is John Markar, and you are listening to the Driven Chat Podcast. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Thank you very much for taking the time to download or stream or watch this latest podcast. I say watch, we do put the audio files, just the audio files, mind, on YouTube and a a very small percentage of you decide to uh, listen to our podcast via YouTube, wherever you're listening, whether that's uh, Apple or Spotify or Google or Amazon or Deezer or whatever, whatever it is. Thank you. It's lovely to be with you. Now, as you might have seen from the title of this week's episode, we're doing another one of these kind of roaming, reporting, multiple guest podcasts, because if you are listening to this in real time, then you may know that last weekend, we've just entered early August, last weekend, the last weekend of July, we, myself and Andy J, as well as the Driven Chat crew, made our way to Silverstone for the Silverstone Classic. Now, the Silverstone Classic is a wonderful event celebrating classic motorsports. Everything from 1960s performance saloons all the way through to, there were even Le Mans prototype cars from only 2014. And that, that to be honest, that seems a, a little too new to be a classic, but it was amazing nonetheless to see them there. Now, of course, with a collection of amazing racing cars, an amazing circuit, there is always a collection of amazing voices to hear from. Now, in this week's episode, the names that you are going to hear from are racing driver Oliver Webb, car wrapping customizer extraordinaire Yanomise, James O'Keefe, who is a name you may not have heard of, but if I tell you he is the husband of a 
global sensation singer and a bit of a petrol head. His name is James O'Keefe. Oh, and an ex-MMA fighter. Yeah, maybe you do know who he is. He joins us for what is a, a conversation that really took myself and Andy by surprise. And we're going to round things up with a legend, an absolute legend of motorsports, Martin Brundle. You might have heard a few weeks back, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, we had Martin's son, Alex, on the podcast. Today, we speak to his dad and we find out how competitive the two of them are as father and son, which is good. Now, there is one additional name. If you have been listening to us on Talk Radio, on our motoring radio show that goes out every Sunday evening at 7pm on Talk Radio, you will know that as part of our radio show version of this, which is a much, much, much shorter compressed version of what you're getting on the podcast, so hey, you're here for the good stuff, we also had a conversation with Ant Anstead. But that conversation was so good and it was so long that we thought, no, rather than including Ant with this gaggle of other guests, what we're going to do is we're going to give Ant his own podcast and you will most likely hear that next week so you will have a full hour-long interview with myself and Andy and Ant Anstead that we also recorded at the Silverstone Classic and Ant goes into a lot of details of course about his motoring world but as you will probably have known if you know Ant through social media he's had a bit of a tough year he's had a bit of a tough year with marriage breakdowns and speculative relationships with new international Hollywood celebrities there's a lot to unfold. So do stay tuned for that. That is going to be an episode that comes next week. So we are going to be starting off with a good old friend of mine, Ollie Webb. Now, Ollie, you may be aware, faced a little bit of controversy in the past year because he was tasked with setting a global road car world record with a supercar manufacturer or hypercar manufacturer, I should say, called SSC Tuatara. Now, Ollie does talk about that experience in this conversation, but also, you know, we're here to talk about the classic. So let's dive in with Ollie and hear what he has to say about his attendance at the Silverstone Classic and that slightly bizarre encounter with a 300 mile per hour world record attempt. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You're listening to Driven Chat, coming to you from the Silverstone Classic. We have the Driven Chat truck set up. We are just watching uh, a hornet's nest of minis make their way out onto the track. Classic minis, racing minis. And John Marker and I are joined by a racing maestro. And if you're an Instagram user, you'll also be aware, one of the most handsome men slash families on the gram. It's Ollie Webb. How are you doing, Ollie? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Tell us what you're doing here, because I'm guessing it's something fast and exciting. It is fast and exciting. It doesn't stop, but it's fast and exciting. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I'm in a E-Type. So I'm racing in the 60th anniversary E-Type race and the pre-63. Um, and then also in a 911 short wheelbase. So lots of slipping and sliding oh. and lots of different races. <laughs> Hang on, are you like the luckiest man out <laughs> Sometimes I think that, yeah. <laughs> you, and this is a job. You get paid to do this. Yes, yeah, as long as I keep doing the right thing. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is good fun. It's it's tough with the classic stuff, though. It's a different kind of pressure to the kind of the day job and inverted commas for racing because in this it's like, well, I want you to stick it on pole for me, says the owner, but also don't <laughs> scratch it. Yeah. You know, it's also worth more than the Formula car you're racing or the prototype car you're racing. It, it's crazy. I tend not to ask how much the cars cost that I'm yeah, sat in because I, I don't really want to know. <laughs> With that, I mean, that, that's a, a good point, isn't it, about the owners of these cars? Because, of course, these are all investments for people. These are huge financial assets. And the more races they win, 
the more valuable they become. Yeah. So to be given the task of make my car worth more money, please, but don't hurt it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's it's one of those things that, especially with the E-types in this 60th anniversary yes. that we've got this weekend for them, is it's a big race for these guys to get the car in because if it gets the sticker, it's done its scrutineering, it finishes, that's all one thing, and then if it finishes well, you know, it's it almost pays for the weekend in itself. So yeah. it's, um, it is good for motorsport in general. It kind of keeps that circle going. It's good for the investment of the cars, and, it, and it's an absolute dream for us to be able to, to get to pay to race them. So the E-Type spectacle, that'll be a proper race then. It's not just a procession, because I saw it on the thing, and I thought, oh, that'll be like a, mm. a bit of a nice procession of glorious E-Types. It's actually proper... Yeah. It is, absolutely. And I'm fairly new to Classic, so I've, I've done Silverstone Classic once, four or five years ago, um, in a Cortina, and I've done a little bit here and there in the odd thing, but I've never really had um, kind of the, the passion or time for it. I didn't really know Classics well enough, and I still don't. Um, I still have to kind of keep my head down a bit when, when people are talking to me about cars, because I don't really know enough about a lot of these Classics, especially with E-Types. There's like six different types mm. in our E-Type race. I just thought, oh, they're all E-Types, so I'll aim for pole then. It's like, oh, no, no. So there's the convertible one, there's the hardtop one, there's the semi-lightweight, there's the lightweight, yeah. there's the tuned-up ones, and there's all these different ones. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a little bit uh, complicating wrapping my head around how quick they are, but they do race really hard. And, and even this morning in qualifying, there's in testing as well. They have a mix of the other cars in them as well. So I've got a twenty-five million dollar Ferrari bread van around the inside of me. Two fifty. What is it called? <laughs> two fifty bread van? Is it called? Yeah, two fifty. Right. Yeah, so I didn't know what that was. That's how bad I am. I recognise it. I'm like, that looks pretty expensive. Until I'm <laughs> sideways around the outside of him, and I can kind of see his eyes through the helmet, thinking, I'm probably not meant to be doing this, as I'm like sideways <laughs> in a two hundred grand E-type with this twenty five million dollar car on the inside. It's, it's mental. What's around the paddock? Does it do your head in at all? Because it's obviously one of those things that part of you probably just wants to stop and take a photo. Look at this glorious car I'm next to. Yeah, it is. It's. I've always been um, been a fan of, of a car. If it's beautiful, it's beautiful, regardless of kind of its history or not. This is teaching me a little bit more about the history. Getting to race them is obviously a pleasure. But I, in, in all my spare time, I'm just walking up and down the paddock uh, and seeing... All, all these different cars that kind of used to be poster cars for me, mm. um, uh, especially because I've always kind of been into racing as well. And then seeing that owners have the ability to buy them if you're successful enough and then race them yourself, which I find really exciting. So, you know, hopefully if, if retirement does well and, and I come up with some crazy business on the side, then, uh, you know, I might be able to buy my own race car and race it, you know, rather than try and seek out you'll, drives. It's certainly the old boy egging on the young driver yeah, going, right, yes. make that worth another That's 100 grand, That's please. the dream. Don't scratch it. Don't scratch <laughs> yeah. it. I didn't when I was your yeah, age. There we go. In my day. What is the... I mean, most people listening, if they're familiar with your career, they're going to know you as Le Mans racing driver you've stood on the podium a couple of times now as well haven't you which is yeah. awesome is there any comparison at all to lmp cars in any way shape or form when you're then getting into an e-type or a 911 short wheelbase is, is there anything that you can think right i can use my lmp experience for this and vice versa or is it just chalk and cheese pretty much chalk and cheese i think track knowledge one thing but yeah. I know your question's more about the car. So track knowledge may be a little bit, you know, if I've been around Silverstone in a prototype and then I go around it in an E-type, at least I've got that bit sorted. Yeah. But car-wise, I don't think there's really anything. I mean, everything's different from, from you know, the heel and toe to, to, to keeping the revs up to make sure the thing doesn't stall to kind of where the red line is and you, no speedo and that temp gauge doesn't work and, and obviously <laughs> H-patterns and dogleg H-patterns and Porsches on one side and the E-types on the other side and you've got, 
classic tyres on this, and even down to the setup. You know, the, the way you stick the setup on these cars isn't even relatable. Mm. You know, the, the the rake and caster and camber and toe in and toe outs of these are just kind of all over the shop. <laughs> so I give my feedback to, to to the team I'm with, which I'm quite new to, and and they find it quite refreshing because I'm just literally saying it as it is yeah. rather than comparing it to a lot of the drivers they have who have like 10 years of e-type experience and saying oh well this is an e-type trait and i'm just saying the brakes are crap yes exactly and they're like yeah. well no no that's how the brakes are i'm that's like what oh, they're supposed yeah. to be oh right yeah. Oh, okay yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and i guess comparing if you if you go back into your garage with an lmp car and say yeah it doesn't it's not quite turning in the right way outcome outcomes laser alignment kits and it yeah. goes up on hydraulic stands and i guess if you're doing that here then a man comes out with some axle stands and some string yeah and, and a spanner and it's the time it takes as well because yeah. i asked them i said can we come down on the front 10 mil i just need a little bit more rake in it because i need the rear to kind of pitch around especially in the slow speed stuff he's like um yeah i might have to do that tonight because it's a six and a half hour job i'm like you are what you what <laughs> yeah. he's like yeah pretty much got to take the car apart to do that so yep yeah, like they did it but he had no to do way. it overnight i was oh, like oh wow. wow that is a Okay, so if you're going to do it, let's just go 20 mil. You know, I don't want you to have to do it twice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you feel any guilt? Uh, these... A little, a little bit, but you know, I've got, I've got to please, I've got to please the guy. Well, the lap time was quicker, so that's the main thing. If we did it, and we went slower, then I'd be in trouble. Yes. Yeah. I would just keep yes. driving away out of out of Silverstone. <laughs> well, your credibility. Yeah. Back. yeah, I knew what I was talking about. It was worth your time. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, mind you, you're kind of guaranteed to go faster when you're feeling the pressure of someone yes, having spent yeah, that will help. six and a half hours on the car. It's got to be quicker, <laughs> otherwise I look like such a bastard. <laughs> Painful. Is this your first time racing at the Classic? Um, so once a few years ago in a Cortina, but yeah, this is, I'd say this is my first proper time because that one I did the testing, the car didn't end up starting the race, um, and it was kind of an in and out one day. Saturday is the only day at race, whereas this weekend, been here since Thursday, you know, we're in three different races. We're in the 60th anniversary race, the main race as well. So um, I'd say this is my first proper Silverstone Classic. So, and, uh, and we're going to be racing Le Mans Classic um, as Beautiful. well. Beautiful, lovely. So that would be nice. Great. And then hopefully if I can do Spa and then add, start adding a few classics to the roster, then because I really enjoy it. I mean, we're literally, today especially, just sideways everywhere in that <laughs> E-Type. Absolutely just so much fun to drive. Do you know what? This is what we were saying. We've referenced the horrific conditions for a while now. Mm. And we've been thinking about what it's like on track. And there's guys like you. This is just fun. Yes. I mean, it makes as long it better, as, right? Yeah, I think as long as there's not too many cars around, so it's qualifying or testing, great fun. In the race, maybe a bit different story because you don't really want to have 100 E-types or however many there are here this weekend on the grid around you and all the pros starting because everyone's going to be quite aggressive and you don't mm. know who does that pro own their own car because that does actually happen. Yeah. There's quite a few pros yeah. who actually own their own car now. So if you own your own car, I think you drive it very differently to if you're driving someone else's. Yes. Whereas in practice and qualifying this morning when there's no one around me and Silverstone having such immense runoff everywhere, and I know this place like the back of my hand, it is, I'm so much happier that it's raining today because mm-hmm. um, today's the best day for it to rain. I know it's not pleasant for, for too many people stood outside, but it's way better than in the dry for driving. On on track. So good. Let's talk about, we've talked about the breadth of cars here. You know, there's amazing cars, machines everywhere you look just make you go, <gasps> But actually, one thing I think that people don't realise, Ollie, is the calibre of the drivers that are piloting them around the track as well. Are you aware that, you know, you're on the track with, I don't know, Martin Brundle and Tiff and, you know, icons of racing are in these cool cars too? Yeah, because that's who I need to be quicker than. (laughs) That's that's why I'm here. Uh, Yeah, Alex is... um, Alex and Martin Brundle are obviously both in the E-type race as well. Uh, So's Tiff. Um, they're both in lightweights though, so it's they're in a, a quicker class car, but still the setup is kind of 
fairly similar. And uh, I was speaking to Alex at Monza in the WEC race we were doing last week, uh, yeah. and I was asking him, I was like, you're going to have to give me some tips on this Jag, because mm. he's done a lot of testing in it. He knows he's got a quick car, and, and we're very new to it. It's a brand new car. Um, so he did, and he gave me some good tips, but now I'm within a second of him, and his lightweight car should be a few seconds quicker, Ooh. so now I don't think he's going to give me any more tips. Yeah, so your, your tips are going to be different. Yes, yeah. So I'm excited to race against him, and, and Tiff, I think, is starting very close to us. I think he's the row behind us for the race tomorrow. Um, so there, that'll Ooh. be fun. So, uh, oh, I love it. Love it. Yeah, I think, the, I think uh, payback for some of the teasing during some of the filming we've done with Tiff <laughs> will, be, uh, will be issued tomorrow. Hopefully it's wet. Well, look, we'd be crazy when we've got you. We'd be crazy not to talk about the super fast moment, the moment of breaking records and then actually having them questioned by yep. Shmi himself. Can you just unpack that for us? Yeah, so that was a, a whirlwind which still seems to be going on. Um, not sure who their PR manager is for their uh, Instagram page, but it's uh, it's not making it easy because it kind of keeps resurfacing, doesn't it? So, I mean, the great thing is they finally got the record. Yeah. Not the 300 mile an hour they wanted, but I am really happy that they officially have the world record. That is something to go by. Um, the frustration for me, the emotional roller coaster that went through, I haven't really been that in touch with them since, to be honest. Mm. Whether it's for, for kind of personal frustration issues of, of being involved with it, um, it was a risk to be involved in the first place. Wife was pregnant, don't really enjoy doing high speed runs. There's not that much of adrenaline rush. Mm. Um, it's different. An adrenaline rush in an E-Type or in a race car where you're on the limit and you're doing your thing is like it's like a drug. It's an amazing thing. Yeah. But doing these high-speed runs is an adrenaline fear. It's a different style of kind of like anxiety. And the enjoyment comes at the end. It's almost like having a really painful sports massage, right? At the end, you feel amazing, but yeah. sometimes you question, is it just because it was painful at the time <laughs> yeah. and now I feel yes, like I did before? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I just got into this weird role of doing these high-speed runs when, for Super Vature, I did a couple of Koenigsegg runs and got the UK record. Then I did a European one in a 1-1 and then broke the European record, and, and that ended up being pitched to this um, supercar company in America that, oh, he's your man, he's a racing driver and he does high-speed runs. Um so, yeah, I took it purely as a job. Um, it was good pay. It was good uh, to have a Guinness World Record on my books. And I thought, you know, if we can do it on a nice open runway, then it should be pretty safe. Michelin were involved and, and other brands and partners that I was involved with were there. Um, but then, yeah, as, as I got there, things changed a bit. Things got delayed. Michelin weren't actually there officially, which oh, I was wow. told that they were going to be. Right. Um, and understandably so, because when they heard the speed that we were going for, they basically said, look, we really want to help, but if this goes wrong, you know, yeah. we, we've killed you. No you one's know? no one's tested the rubber at that speed. Yes. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, a tire yeah. manufacturer will say even with things like you think of the the super high high performance hypercars that we have now, like the Chiron. Yeah, Michelin will say we get that your car is capable of doing this speed, but we haven't tested our tires at three hundred and fifty miles an hour. Yeah, we don't. We can't. Like we, why would we? So of course, when this sort of record comes up and a tire manufacturer seems to be involved, and they go, whoa. Oh, hang on a minute. Yeah. It's scary stuff. So I kind of arrived, and then it was like, uh, I'm giving you the long version of the story. No, I like it. I like it. So you're there, Michelin aren't really involved. Yeah, can I sign here? Michelin aren't here. Oh, okay, that's a bit strange. Then it's um, meant to be a week trip, turned into a three-week trip. Things are being pushed back. Um, We didn't end up doing it on a runway. We ended up doing it on the the Nevada Road, um, which is where the Koenigsegg did it. That's right. Which is not a pleasant road. It's a bumpy thing, isn't it? It is bumpy. It's... Long, it has elevation change, and it's got two huge ditches either side. So it's 
the only benefit it's got from an engineer's point of view is it's got the straight bit. Yeah. But then, you know, they're not the, dr- the driver in the car that needs that, you know, extra bit of space each side yeah. if it goes wrong. Mm. So on a runway with the Koenigsegg, if something ever went wrong, even a blowout, because the grass is so far away each side, I had it in my head that I should be able to then apply skill to keep it, even if all four completely punctures and I'm on the rims, to keep it spinning in a mm. straight line. Yeah. I should be able to do that. But once it goes sideways on a two-lane highway, mm. you know, there's zero... I honestly think there's zero skill in what I did there, other than being maybe slightly brave. I was going to say, bravery is a big skill to have when it comes to this. Yeah. People aren't queuing up to go, oh, yeah, well, we'll try something no one's ever done before because it's very dangerous. Yeah. I think, I if think... anything, the, the racing experience kind of... It, it, most people would probably look at the opportunity, let's say non-professional racing drivers would look at the opportunity to drive 350 miles an hour and go, yeah, all right, that sounds awesome. Yeah. But as a racing driver, when you know what can go wrong, how it can go wrong, and how randomly it can go wrong, it suddenly turns on a whole new light in your head of, this is actually really bloody dangerous. Yeah, and there's so many different factors there that it parameters that when we do 300 mile an hour at Le Mans, you're in, you know the safest cockpit possible on a track that has all the FIA grade A safety measures possible with all the safety team in the world there possible. And then on top of that, you have all the extra space, etc. This is on road tyres in a road-going car that, you know... In the desert. In the desert, (laughs) with two ditches either side. If it starts to go sideways, there's no saving it. Now, when I say there's no skill involved, in testing, that's different. There's skill involved in feedback on how the turbos are acting, how the vibration on the tyres are acting, what we can do with pressure and temp and and run-up and all that, that's fine. But when it comes to the moment, it's go flat and hold on because you can't give up halfway through. Mm. That's the problem with going this quick because they trim out all the aero so you become like a floating car. You know, you're like a freaking marshmallow. It's just hovering around, Mm. so you can't really give up. Um, But yeah, kind of back to it. it. When it happened at the time, it felt incredibly quick. All the testing that we'd done to date had been with that same data logger. Yeah. So I'd almost been blinded by my references the whole week of, you know, when I do 100 mile an hour, that's 100 mile an hour, and do 150, that's 150. When we're doing 200 in testing, that's 200. When we're doing 250, that's 250, and so on. So kind of they're all my reference points. So it's almost the only reference I had was that week of driving because I've never driven on that road, in that road car, to know how quick to go. There's no other cars near you. It's flat desert each side, and it's down and flat, so you have nothing but the horizon. Um, so, yeah, it was it was really frustrating to then hear we didn't get the speed. Because if you sent me out at Le Mans in any car, and you'd probably be able to guess within 20 mile an hour where you yeah. were, generally. you know, and, and that gap gets bigger as you go quicker you know if you're doing 2,000 mile an hour you'd have to guess within the 500 mile an hour yes, range wouldn't yeah. you yeah. so when we're doing this 316 or whatever it is that they said we did and it was it, they actually worked out that it was like 270 or something which is a big chunk although kind of some people criticize oh well you know the driver should really have known that and the honest truth is I just had no How idea would you? what have you what scale oh, have yeah. you got yeah. you're not looking at braking points or yeah. armco or tire walls it's sand and the road yeah so you came away you get out of the car, what did they say to you? They said 316. Yeah, so 360, we were going off the, uh, the V-Box the whole time. Um, or, sorry, it was V-Box in the end, but it, I can't remember what the data logger was that they had in originally. Um, so, yeah, they, they came in after the fourth or fifth run. They said, you know, that was it. You've done it. You don't have to run again. That was music to my ears. Mm. Part yeah. of that is the elation of, I've done it. I've got the record. 
you probably always naturally as a human want to believe the positive side, which yeah, is of course, that of course. Why, would, why would they ever say that we hadn't? They would just say run again if I hadn't. Um, there's so many thoughts that came through my head, you know, the weeks after when Tim started calling me and the guy started calling me and said, you know, we've looked at this and this is what it is. And straight away I was on the, the side of fact, which is that I everything pointed towards it wasn't what we did. So, right. you know, I want to, you know, I want to redo it. Sure. Um, so when was the first time that you realised that actually you hadn't done what they'd been telling you? Was it... Was through it, Tim. Was it Tim? Shmi a week, a week before Tim put the video out. He phoned and said, I'm sorry yeah, about this. Yeah, and then but. we called, you know, every every few hours every day for a week to go through the stuff, you know, uh, video call, calls, kind of go through the different data points. Um, and, yeah, whether... I, I still hope, maybe it's just my faith in mankind, that it was a genuine mistake. Mm. I've struggled to believe anyone in that situation on the same road as the previous record with with references that people could then catch them out that yeah. they would stick to a in inverted commas lie that sure, much sure. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of theories out there I genuinely think it was a mistake and then when they realised that's when the issues came is that it, the process that they decided to go down was the complete wrong process from that point onwards yeah. once they realised um, but yeah for me it was uh, i say it was a nightmare I was extremely lucky that like even with social media these days still only like 0.1% of the negative flat came my way mm which I'm very thankful for. I think people appreciated the risk that was involved and thought, okay, well, you know, 270 is still quick enough, so we won't go too hard at him. So, um, but yeah, it was just a bit painful to be part of because, you know, I dedicated a lot of risk as, as well, you know. Yeah, was, the, the baby say, had just come at that point as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So if, if that team, knowing everything you know now, if they call you as you leave the truck now and say, do you know what, Ollie, we're, we're going again. We'd like you to come back. We're going to do it again. Would you pause for thought, or would you say sure? Um, no. So they, they asked me to, to go back to Florida and do the second run, which they did the world record, and I said no. Right. Um, and that was half half for my wife and half for... Because it was a safe place. So this was originally where I wanted to do it, where right. the plan was to do it. So actually, it wasn't necessarily for the safety this time, um, because as much as I tried to convince uh, my family and my wife that this time it will be safe... It will be fine this time because that runway is. I mean, it's NASA's runway. You know, it's absolutely. Yes. It's as wide as Heathrow, let alone long. Um, so that wasn't the issue. It was half for family and her, and half for the reputation of if it goes wrong again. Yeah. Of course. Which just wasn't part of the risk. Um, so yeah. Well, if they call you again, Ollie, then I can tell you that John Markar <laughs> is, is more than happy to try and ready to jump in, and and will provide the tires. You know, we'll just hope for the best. <laughs> we'll stick some Nankangs on there. It'll be fine. <laughs> but I tell you what, that thing, that thing is absolutely rapid. For all, for all of the kind of drama that was around it, well, well you know, it's, it's yeah. proofs in the pudding. They did the world record both ways. But nothing I've ever been in pulls at 250 mile an hour to 300 or to 270 or whatever it is that I ended up getting to. You know, it pulls from 250 a bit like a Turbo S pulls from 100 upwards. Yeah. It's just... Mind-boggling. I realise we've not actually said the manufacturer, and I. Yes, I, I haven't mentioned. I think, that, I think it that's deliberate. Yeah, well, it? yeah. I, I yeah. was wondering I if it is or it isn't. It or not, yeah. Go for it. So uh, SSC Chuatara is yeah. So yeah. it's um, so just in case there's anyone listening that kind of thinks like, I, I kind of know a little bit about this, but or maybe I don't know anything about this. Yeah. Have a little Google yeah. and the, just enjoy the story. It's going to be a Netflix documentary at some point, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so it was it was filmed. I can't say who by. Yeah. Um, 
everything obviously kind of got closed down in terms of like what do we do with all of this footage yeah, of course, now of so it is being filmed by someone big I'll say who um, British or otherwise um, nope that's good otherwise, that's, 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 more global yep good yeah I, yeah I don't think it's owned by British but um, no definitely otherwise American owned I think um, so it will be I think it was meant to be an episode I think now it's probably a series but yeah. I think from their point of view, they're thinking, great, this is really more exciting now than it was. They're probably at the time thinking, oh, my God, all of our footage has gone to waste because they've been filming them for like six months through everything. Mm. Um, And the family who created it are incredible. The the owner, um, although I don't appreciate the way that it all came out, that the owner and his son um, and the people that are involved are such a nice family. Um, He's been through so much turmoil with his wife passing away, or I think two wives passing away, and his family have been through all that to make that car, and they've done a great job with it. Um, as with a lot of single-make new hypercars, there are finishing touches that need of course. looking at. Um, generally tends to be on the bits that you, you don't see. Um, but in terms of it doing the job, it, it does do the job, and I can say that you know with it's uh, definitely quick with confidence. It is definitely definitely quick. Um, do you know they've got uh, they've got the opportunity to make the automotive fire festival, don't they? They could do like. <laughs> Well, footage. so yeah, so I'm very close friends with the producer who who filmed this, and he was half the reason I got on it because I do a lot of stunt driving for films as well, and he was half the reason I got involved with that um, with my stunt license licenses working in the US as well, um, and he was obviously absolutely gutted at first because all this beautiful kind of story mm. that they'd filmed, and I've seen kind of the, the the first episode or, or episode in full on my phone um, that couldn't be released and. Obviously, it has to be refilmed because it can't be made in the beautiful, dramatic way it can because it's no longer a true story. Effectively, it has to be redone. But then when he recovered that, he said exactly that. He's like, well, this is, you know, this is huge, huge drama. It's better. It's better. it's better. And it's probably better for the company in the long run if they end up still doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It might take them 10 years to actually see the light of, okay, it was worth it all, the drama. Yeah, with John Markar at the wheel and everything else. (laughs) If you guys can recover it for us, that'd be great. You bring the tyres. Cool. (laughs) Uh, Oli, thank you for your company. It's been great fun. it's great. It's great. It's been really good chatting, sliding E-types and mad records that aren't real and stuff what, <laughs> what a gas um, good luck out here have fun and yeah. don't, don't scratch it all yes right? I yeah. won't scratch but it but do increase the value yes I'll try and do that as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> brilliant and there we go that was Ollie Webb I really really like Ollie despite the fact that he's an amazing amazing talented driver he's just a really really nice bloke so it's always good to catch up with Ollie. Now, a little blast from the past for me, somebody I've worked with for years uh, but haven't seen for many, many years, uh, and somebody Andy's worked with in the past as well, is a chap called Yanni, otherwise known as Yanamize. This is Yanni talking about his attendance at the Silverstone Classic, some throwback memories to uh, myself and him working together, and a little bit of uh, what's to come in the world of Yanni and Yanamize. Brilliant. I feel like I feel like we should start. Well, I should have recorded that intro. I know, I? I know. Uh, I just jo- remember you back from Krispy Kremes. That, that's how far back we go. Donuts. How many years? Fifteen. No. <laughs> Hold on. Aventador's been out 2013, and I had my orange Aventador then. Yeah. So there so, you go. It's eight, nine. It would have been like 2012. I think we first. Here we go, here we go. You're listening to Driven Chat. I'm loving this. We're here at the Silverstone Classic, and I've just heard the words Krispy Kremes and Adventador <laughs> uttered in the same sentence. John, John I'm going to let you do the honours because I can't do it justice. That's just very that's kind. my favourite. Those two things in the same sentence are 
perfection. <laughs> yes, so those of you that listen may, may know if you've, if you've been following me for a little while, I used to be involved in this small-scale event production called Gumball 3000, just a little large-moving motoring event that went all over the world. And uh, as well as the stuff that we did around the world, we did some closer-to-home events. We called them Gumball Get-Togethers. And a lovely gentleman came along and joined us for some of our first few meets. And that gentleman is called Yanni. And he sat with us here in the Driven Chat studio, otherwise known as, to the masses, Yanomize. How are you doing? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Really, really pleased to see you. And John, so awesome to see you. It's been a long, long time. It has. It has. I yeah, have very fond memories of you in gold-wrapped Aventadors. Uh, was there a 458 in there at some point as well? 458, 488. I think I, I might have a vague memory of me politely telling you off to stop doing donuts in front of children. Wow! <laughs> Did he really cover me he's like gone, that? He's gone there. It wasn't in front of children. It was in a car park in a controlled environment. <laughs> it was in a controlled environment. Okay. You see, that was a confused thing because you'd already mentioned Krispy Kremes. Maybe he's, that's what he was meaning. Yeah, it was do- yeah, we're talking about the food donuts. Yeah, not, not uh, eating donuts in front of children, which we love doing. <laughs> it's so good to see you. It really it's is. Great this is a very you. pleasant surprise. No, thank you for having me. And it is... Um, not the best weather, is it, here today? No, no, we are at the Silverstone Classic where the skies have opened and, you know, we're, we're, we're doing what we do best. We're being sturdy and British and enjoying the rain, aren't we? Well, you're inside. I've been on stage getting absolutely drenched. So, um, yeah, you've kept it nice and dry and I've kept it nice and wet. <laughs> now, now, what I love here is that, is that the reason you've come here is to hide something. Tell, tell us what's going on. You're part of a, a kind of treasure hunt happening here yes, this I'm, weekend. Yes, so I'm here with Silverstone Classics, and I've got we've got a GTR Liberty Walk GTR on stage in Chrome Orange. Of course, it's Chrome because we're we're crazy <laughs> like that. And we do a thing called Rap Attack. So what you do is we ask people to come in, bring their items, and I've got two of my main guys, Nico and Mark. And they're going to wrap their items. So people bring phones, they bring drumsticks, they bring helmets, whatever you can think of. We're wrapping. Someone actually brought an Xbox to the car show for us to wrap. <laughs> I don't know how long he thinks we're going to be here for, but people are crazy. And we're doing a treasure hunt. So we've got merchandise and we've got giveaways for Silverstones, like free tickets or driving parties or whatever for next year. Uh, so we're going to hide a few around um, Silverstone and we're going to give them clues and they can come and find them. So See I came here. Is. To hide one here with Amazing. you guys. I love this. This is the, this show will be going out after the fact, so we're not giving away the secret. If anyone's listening, <laughs> yeah. if anyone came and found it by the driven chat truck, well done. Yeah. Congratulations. What what is it that you're hiding here with us? So it looks like t shirts and merch and stuff. So we've got a pair of weekend tickets and we've got a Yanomai's t-shirt, some merchandise. So there nice. it is. Now what's happening with you? Because last time you and I spoke, I was hosting this here two two three years ago whenever it was last yep. open it's, covid has thrown us all into confusion mm. hasn't it? so we were chatting on the stage and you were doing the rap attack again but you were just about to film something that you couldn't tell me about which turned into yanni supercar customizer yes it did and you wouldn't use those words even though it had basically <laughs> been banked and i'm like there's only so far you can press someone that is on a dna nda whatever it's called <laughs> i can't tell you How's it going? How has that been received? What's the next plan? It was crazy. It was on Dave. We had um, over 40 episodes. And for someone like myself, yes, I have social media. But to get 20 series one, so 20 episodes on series one was, was incredible. Mm. And there were like, oh, how many series you got? And I'm like, 20. And they're like, usually for an unknown, you get four, maybe six. So they gave us 20. It went really, really well. And they gave us another 20 on top of that. 
Um, so it was incredible, um, so much fun. People loved it. It done massive, massive numbers. Yeah. Um, and I remember we put the first 20 episodes out and, and management said, we're going to put them all out straight away. So that means then you can watch the first episode on TV and then the rest will be... Super binge. On, yeah, yeah, online. Um, and then obviously they'll still come out every single week. And I'm like, don't do that, it's going to ruin it. Done 1.8 million views wow. in the first seven days on UK TV online. And they still continue to, continue to do every single week. Hundreds of thousands. So it works really well, and that's why we got Series 2 as well. And it's fair to say, if anyone hasn't seen the show, we're not talking about every episode is just wrapping a car, is it? That's not how it's going to work. That's not going to sustain an audience. Oh, what colour are they going to do this time? Go on, tell us what it, happened. It was, a, it was a story, and, and what, what I enjoyed most, and I'll tell you a little bit about it, but what people would come to me and say to me, I watch it with my family. And whether yeah. you're a mum or you're a dad, a man, the, the women loved it as well. And they were like, I watched it with my kids. Mm. So what happened is the car would come in, it'd get wrapped, but it'd be uh, interlocking stories. Um, so depending on me going out to do an event or I might go and get my hair cut or I might go to a show, whatever it may be, but something would happen in every single show and it'd be different. And when initially we got the TV show, they were like, we want you to do this, we want you to do that. And I'm like, I don't want it scripted. I said, if you film us long enough, things will go wrong. Because people like drama on, on TV. Yeah. And things did go wrong. Like, we wrapped um, Paul Oz, who's, who's a fantastic artist. Yeah, you know, friend of mine, yeah. So we wrapped Paul Oz's car, um, an RS5. So we'd already wrapped, like, two, three cars previous for him. And he knows about colours and paint. So you can't, you can't mess around with Paul. And he's always had his cars wrapped in a specific orange. He brought us his RS5, and he's like, okay, wrap it in the orange. We're like, yeah, no problem. I posted a picture on Instagram after we're halfway through. And he calls me like, yeah, and he goes, you know, you know the colour? Are you wrapping it the same colour as usual? I'm like, of course, Paul. Like, like obviously, Paul, like, mm. as if, like. And he's like, are you sure? And I'm like, let me phone you back, Paul. So I put the phone down. I look at the car, and I'm like, it looks similar. I went up to see Bert, who's my number two. I said, Bert, is that Paul Oz's car? He's like, of course it is. Went downstairs. We looked at the samples. We'd only ordered the wrong orange. Oh, wow. And he spotted it. So we had to strip, literally we'd wrapped half the car, stripped half the oh. car off, and had to redo it again. And I was fuming, slamming doors. And that was real. People are like, oh, you put it on. I'm like, believe me, mm. things go wrong. And, yeah. and they loved it. True, Jeff. But that's what makes it interesting. Though. Yeah. If everything's just the same, and it's squeaky clean, and it's rehearsed, like you just said, haircuts and things, you can't script that. Yeah, exactly. And it, yeah. Was, it was real life, and things did go wrong, and people loved it, and nothing was staged. Um, the only thing was, that was set up was that what time my clients would turn up. Because sure. obviously you have to set that up. But besides yeah, yeah. from that, everything was real. And we had we had Lethal B, we had David Hay. Um, it, it was just, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. And, and TV's where where I want to continue going. Social media is fantastic, but it is a different audience. It is. So me yeah. me starting my early career, I was like, you're the guy that done KSI's car. You're the guy mm. that done KSI's car, the Chrome <laughs> Purple. So yeah. I was like, okay. Then I got, you're the fellow off the telly. You're the fellow off the telly. Now I get you're the guy on Carwell, so uh, yes, depending that's on, right, yeah. I do loads of stuff with Matt from Carwell, and pe- people love it. And initially, when I started doing that, people hated me. Mm. They're like, "Oh no, he's this and he's that," because I, I am a certain character, and I think people thought I was putting it on. And then after two, three, four, five, they're like, oh, "Actually, Yanni is actually like this." So you know yeah. what? Fair play to him. And then they love me now. Matt always wants me on Carwell to do the drag races with him, yeah, um, which is fun. And listen, I enjoy what I do. I love cars, and I enjoy meeting people. And, Doing fun stuff like this. What's next, buddy? What's uh, what's on the what's on the menu? You've always got something on the go. So we've just set up Yanomai's competitions, right? And I just gave away a Lamborghini Aventador SV Roadster, my one, <laughs> one of five hundred. Did it hurt? Um, it was isn't. It was it was fantastic to give it away to a young man, um, and he insured it for one month. He insured it for the year, which was seven thousand pounds. Oh my! However, goodness. he was only allowed to do five hundred miles oh, for that seven grand. No. So I said, he goes, "What should I do?" I said, "Insure it for the year, pay the month, and then after the month, enjoy it, 
yeah. embracing without being disrespectful the chance that he would never be able to afford an event to SV Road stuff sure sure he did he was a young man and then he sold it yeah. he paid off his mum's mortgage brilliant he's gone and bought properties now so it changed his life um, and then we gave away an SQ7 to a 17-year-old. I gave away three Kias. <laughs> I've just bought a Mini to give away. And we just give away cars for fun and money and prizes. And the feeling to give back is incredible. Um, and it's the best feeling in the world. So, yeah, I love it. Awesome. I like that. That's nice. And just a really quick one on the Classic, because it's a special event, isn't it? You're here pretty much every year, if I remember rightly. What is so special about this place? <sighs> First of all, it's Silverstone. Let, let, let's not get it twisted. There, there, there's great events, and I'm not going to name them, but there's great events everywhere. But Silverstone is Silverstone. It's so British. It's so UK. And it's a Lewis Hamilton one here mm. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It's just a great event, great people. And I think it's very, very different to some of the other car shows that we go to. Um, you're still young, but I think people are a lot more passionate here. Yeah. I think without being, without coming across the wrong way, people are very nice at this show. I've been to other shows where they're not as nice. Mm. This is a very nice family-orientated show, and that's why I love it. That's why I love it, and that's why I come back every year. I think the audience that come here are very informed as well, aren't they? They're, yeah. they're just, yeah. They come because they're passionate, and they know the cars. Yeah. So you get some... I mean, I get some very nerdy questions sometimes. <laughs> I love it, because they know, and they you, know can't, you can't fool them. Can't fool them here. Yeah. Got to know what you're talking about. Exactly. Hey, look, thank you for enjoying us. I, uh, I sincerely hope that someone does come and win... What is it? Passes for next year, T-shirts, yeah. merch, etc. I hope they find it. That'll be otherwise. John will be back next year wearing the T-shirt, and you'll oh, know what yeah. happened. <laughs> I'll definitely give them. A, I'm going to put it on my Instagram, and they'll definitely get the clue. I'll probably put up a picture or a little story, awesome. and I'll put, I've just been here. Why was I here? Love they'll it. come like and find it. it very quickly. Like it, and then they'll be able to hear you in a couple of weeks' time on the radio. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Thanks for days. having me, guys. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Lovely seeing you. Brilliant. That was Yanni. Right, our next guest. James O'Keefe is a name you might not be familiar with, but James is the husband of the wonderful, sensational, brilliant singer, Beverly Knight. And James joined us as a friend of Aunt Anstead. Turns out he's a massive petrol head and he's got some pretty good stories to tell. So let's dive in with James. This one is going to take you by surprise. Even if you have no idea who James is, if you haven't heard this voice before and if the name's not familiar, just stick with it because you're going to enjoy it. We are going to go on a journey of... Uh, positive thought, uh, MMA fighting, and what it's like to be a plus one of a international global singing sensation. You're listening to Driven Chat, coming to you from the Silverstone Classic. We have brought the driven, the driven Chat truck. I should be able to say that by now. <laughs> we brought the Driven Chat truck to the Silverstone Classic. We've parked up, unfolded, and we are having a range of fascinating and diverse conversations. I'm Andy J. I have John Markar with me. Hi. And John, we're having a. It's a wet day, though, isn't it? Every time we pop outside. It is a wet day. It is a wet day. The great thing about Silverstone, I usually say, this is from my from my days of running and organising track days and driving teaching days here, is the great thing about Silverstone is if the rain does come, it's always windy and it always blows through. But um, obviously, where, wherever the wind is coming from today, it's bringing a lot more rain with it. Yes, this is, this is bizarre. <laughs> Two weeks ago, it, it held obviously the Formula One Grand Prix, and yeah. it was like the hottest weekend was, of the year. Yeah. Everyone, I mean, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people showed up, and almost all of them got sunburned yep. and exhausted. Now, well, it's just drenching. It's, it's a very, very wet, very wet situation. However, one man that we have, he has featured on the show in the most bizarre of ways. <laughs> 
He's been on the Andy J Show on Talk Radio, and he has featured very fleetingly. And I'll tell you this, he has featured topless on the show. Oh, goodness me. It's, it seems an unusual thing to say, but it is, it is fact-check correct. <laughs> for, for an audio medium as well. Yes. So... We are joined by James O'Keefe. How are you doing, James? So, J- James, firstly, let's just let's just unfold that bizarre sentence. <laughs> James, you are you are married to you are the husband to. I'm the plus one of yeah, <laughs> yeah the plus one of the beautiful Beverly Knight. Beverly Knight. Yeah, and when Beverly was, I think one of the very first guests on my show. Yes, I can't believe we were it. filming the interview, and you just decided to get nude and stand behind her. Well, I, I, I mean, I think. You saying it like that might be a little harsh. I fear, I fear there was another way of you know putting that spin on it. I fear there was a you know a, a different explanation. Really? Uh, possibly. Um, I actually can't. I I can't remember that day what happened because well, Beverly, I I remember it very well. Beverly said because <laughs> of course it's one of those things that you are going to remember. You're chatting to you know an icon, and then there's a naked man in the background. It wasn't explained to me who you were or why you were there at the time as well. And she she basically said that you were apparently you were auditioning for uh, the He's Chippendales calendar. Wrong end. is He's this right? So- the 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 oh, I'm like the granddad of the Chippendales, yeah. At my age, it's like yeah, yeah. She no. also, I think she also said you were considering getting into lockdown porn. I don't know well, what that is. Well, it was. I mean, I I have been. You know, it's been quite tough for us. You know, so I had to find a new industry, and um, you know, male, you know, modelling was was it. You know, um, unfortunately, I didn't get any money. Uh, Seemingly, it's, no one wanted to look at me. I, d- I, I don't know. It, I find it slightly. We should also, if you're thinking that John Marker and I are speaking in a slightly different pitch to usual, James is currently naked now as well. <laughs> so it's a, it's an unusual circumstance for us. Yeah. Is this a state of mind or, I, or just a? I have got a thing about. I'm not that keen on clothes. Right, and and that's going down well at the classic. No. Uh, There's a lot of weird squinting. I think they're trying to see what is actually going on, but yeah, they just yeah. (laughs) Now Bev um, Bev does have to explain quite a lot that yeah, he doesn't really like clothes that much when I've got no top on and no shoes. So here's the thing: Bev did pub in the park a a little while ago. That you know, Tom Carriage, the food festival. Um, And uh, when I say she did it, she performed there. I mean, yeah, she didn't, like, just randomly walk around. But um, it was raining, much like this, and I was like, well, what's the point in having shoes on? So I had no shoes on, no socks. Okay. At a festival, that's slightly weird. I'm not going to lie. So oh, here's well, the... What, uh, nah. See, this is beautiful. This is, yeah. like, this is what I like. I'm, I'm sorry James you know, on this one, I think. Yeah. Oh, boom. Toes, toes through t- the grass. See, in the mud, but yeah. the looks I was getting from people were... It was, it was bad. Like, it was like I had... Really? It was like I had bare feet or something like that. And I was walking around with bare feet with, like, maybe some dog <laughs> shit on my head. It was like the look of, you know, disgust from, like, some women would give me a look of disgust. Yeah. How bizarre. Yeah. And I know I'm, you know, you maybe more, I... More gym time. I mean, I get that. I think I did, yeah, yeah. I think that day my abs weren't quite on point. Also um, the fungal infection and stuff. It's not... <laughs> yeah. You can appreciate where they were yeah. coming from. It was, the, yeah, it was quite bad that day. But, yeah, it was... Um, but, yeah, unbeknown to me, obviously, I, I, I've just sat through the amazing podcast with you and Anne, and, you know, which was brilliant. And here today, met you guys, and you was like, yo, I think you've been naked in the back of my... I was like... Oh, just so random. It's fun. So ra- it's fun. So look, yes. Well, let's talk about the connection because you arrived. And Anstead, obviously, he's a very dear friend of mine. Yeah. We just we just had a lovely chat with him, Bloody and you arrived yeah. on his golf 
Trotty. Yeah. Now, now, Ant always has someone interesting with him. It's never, <laughs> it'll never be just Today Ant. it changed, because yeah. it's me. <laughs> and I'm super not... <laughs> so let's talk about, you know, why you're here at the Classic and what your connection is to it and your love of cars, etc. So, uh, obviously, I'm a, I'm a big car... So... I've always been a big car fan. Like, from when I was young, I was the kid in the back of the car, you know, looking... I could tell a car by any part of it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, I, you know, I'm 45 now, and I've not got into cars the way I should... You know, I feel like I've missed out being in the industry. You know I mean? I should have been involved with cars somehow. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know, I now live vicariously through other people's... I love all the programmes. I love watching... I listen to your podcast. Love, you know... I've got a couple of friends who, you know, Rick Parfit Jr. has been on here, amazing guy, you know, yeah, so I go to a couple of things with him and and Ant, buddy, so, you know, just, he was like, oh, mate, you know, I'm in the UK and do you want to come, like, what? I tell you, get the the whole car thing as well, so I've been very lucky, Beverly was an ambassador for Audi for 16 years. Great. Oh, that's so. Cool. Yeah, a string of lovely cars being delivered. Well, what does what does ambassador mean in in Audi terms? Is that they free just give cars? you a free car? Ooh, and they invite you to the most amazing events. So they flew us to Le Mans on a private jet more than once for the whole weekend, staying in a chateau, right. whilst going round the best, uh, most unbelievable food places I've ever been to. But there is a bit of an issue with that. One year I went, and I was um, I used to be a professional MMA fighter. Did you? Yeah. So uh, I was had a fight coming up, and they flew us on a private jet with champagne. You know, it was just... And I had to literally just, like, eat, like, a morsel of, you know, oh, like, no. half a prawn. And, you know, <laughs> it is a tough life out there, yeah. It, you know. I mean, just, I'm, I'm bleeding fit, Yeah, you are bleeding. There's I think a, you a should feel sorry for me. Yeah, I'm doing my best to play. You should feel very sorry for me. It was a tough time. <laughs> but what's the exchange? Because that obviously sounds amazing. They're giving you free cars. They're flying you on private jets to cool events, etc. Is Beverly, therefore, having a sing for them? Is she, so, is she literally singing for yeah, her quattro? So, no, so she would just be, you know... I think um, because of the way that she is and I think the way she's conducted her career and, you know, the respect she's got in the industry and, you know, just she's an amazing woman, you know, and and the way she carries herself, they want people like that. So, you know, and and she, yeah, she used to sing every now and then and and just be, you know, just be a part of their, you know... uh, you know, social media, there, this, and just just be a brand ambassador, be a good person, and, and you know, and it was through a lot of, you know, the car business, you know, in, years ago was in a real dip, and it was all through that, and it was just a beautiful thing, you know, it was an amazing. John Zamet was the was the PR head of PR there, amazing guy. If anyone, you know, yeah. if you guys, yeah, it's just a just a beautiful soul. So, an amazing time, and super grateful for it. It was, yeah. I think if I was a if I was a manufacturer, I'd want people like Beverly because she is, she is without a doubt she's a she's a British national treasure, isn't oh, she? Oh, she's like, wonderful. She's on that you. list of just no nobody's ever going to go. Oh, Beverly, not I've heard she's a bit of a horrible person. Yeah, you know, everybody loves her, whether you like her music or not. You go, yeah. Oh, but she seems so lovely. She's a, she she's is, an obviously. amazing human being, yeah. and that and that's the reality. I'm a lucky man, you know. I, I I'd say I you know I wake up every day with a with a buzz of like excitement and and gratefulness and even more out of this lockdown the gratefulness i think about and you know uh with everything i do and you know as i was talking to you about the podcast as well you know i've got my own little podcast and and that's all part of being called the plus ones put it out there man it's called the plus plus ones because i am the plus one and i (laughs) i i I take that because i'm proud of it i'm proud to be beverly knight's plus one you know her husband and i'll do anything for her and and 
um, yeah, it's, it's a real, real joy, you know. I have two Beverly-based questions. Please. Because when I had the pleasure of her company interviewing her, mm. she did, I brought up Bodyguard, and she did a little bit of the, she started, I'm not going to try and sing it, because <laughs> that would be, I mean, poison to people's ears. Yeah. But when she sang it, the hairs on the back of my neck were just, <gasps> yeah. do you encourage her to sing that every single day around the house? Yeah, I, ma- I make her sing every morning for me, you yeah. know. Welcome to the world, my beautiful husband. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's exactly what I was trying to avoid. Yeah, that I, but, yeah. I make up the whole, I make up a little <laughs> song every lines. morning, and you know, I'd make her say things like "You're so handsome" <laughs> and "You're very buff too," <laughs> things like that. Because <laughs> she start, because she just started off the if I, you know, and I'm like, Ooh, yeah, all yeah, my days, yeah. that was amazing. Yeah. My second question is, and and this is only something I've researched recently. Is it true that you guys got together because she? saw you in a calendar. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was the, it was a very, 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 very on sale calendar. It was a, it was an MMA fighters charity calendar. It, it, it? was, it was, a, it was a um, very, very, yeah, it was the lowest rent MMA fighter calendar there is. And I was, uh, you were Mr. January. Oh no, I was actually on the back of the, they, they, I didn't make the, I didn't make any of the months. So I was on the back and she just spotted me there and it was there. And it was there. I would like to know the genuine story of how an that MMA was, fighter meets a singing sensation. Which is how, so really where we were getting to. Well, so uh, I, I used to be a gaffer. So I used to do lighting for pop videos right. and commercials years ago. Um, and, I, I was working on her it's quite a long story how we met so but but I met on her it was a sixth out al- it was a a commercial for her sixth album okay. and I was up some ladders and she came in and lit the whole room up she's you know she's got such a beautiful personality and smile and you know, everything which actually makes your job easy if you're there for lighting and she's yeah, just, and she does, brings the light it really does yeah and she you know and we she was chatting away and stuff that day and nothing happened walked away and she, you know but two months later, I went, chance meeting, I went to see some friends on a job, and her video commissioner was there. Oh, I came running up to him, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's you, Beverly. Oh, she's like, Beverly Knight really likes you. And I'm like, my mates are on the job. I was like, oh, yeah, all right, love. Wind yeah, up, nice, yeah. wind up. Yeah. I went, yeah, I went, tell you what, get, get, give my number off one of the boys, get her to give me a call, yeah. And I went, that was it, and I went. And Beverly was in Le Mans with Audi at the, at the 24-hour Le Mans. Wow. And her video commissioner rang her said oh my god I've just seen this guy I've got his number Bev never text anyone never she's just not been interested in you know 
men like that. It just, just wasn't. Text me. She was crapping herself. Text me. Oh, hi, it's Beverly. And I was at a wedding, pissed, and uh, <laughs> took like two hours to reply. You know, you know, when you're young, I was like 30, and you're trying to reply really well to like a nice message from a guy. Go- <laughs> from a famous person. My, and, and then yeah, I was freaked out, in. like, oh, my God, what am I going to write here? And, and then, yeah, I just... But oh, yeah, you know. And luckily, she stuck with me, and now she's stuck with me forever Amazing. now. Bless her. But yeah, it's how been. Do you, how do you plan a first date with someone? Uh, you well, that, so that is a good question. So I, so she was late on our first date, and I nearly walked back into the tube station and went because she was trying to clothes on, and she was, you know, but she's never mm-hmm. late. That's the the. Hang on, you'd arrange to meet at a, at a tube station. Well. Because Beverly Knight, she's going to get stopped. Yeah, well, in her car, she was going to pick oh, right, me up because okay. that was the other thing. I was like, "Where, where are you comfortable to go?" Because I didn't want to like arrange someone. Then she was, kind of, I, you know, I didn't know what was going on. So she picked me up. She was late. Anyway, we got in. The, I ran over to her car, got in, and I was like, "And I hadn't seen her since then." So it was a bit. It was, and it was a few weeks later. And I got in the car, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It, you know, it was brilliant. And then, then we went to this little restaurant and. It was just beautiful. It's been and it's been great ever since for me. Anyway, I'm not so sure for her. <laughs> Nonsense. Nonsense. No, to be fair, John, she was she was complaining. She <laughs> probably, yeah, mate. If it was me, if it, if I was her, I'd complain as well. And I, I always say that you can only have one diva in every relationship, and I take care of that. Really? <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm the diva. She's wow. so like what Ant was saying about you know uh, a certain person. So. My my wife is the most grounded person I've ever met, and so chilled, so lovely, so kind. And I'm just, you know, I'm just such a diva. She enables you. <laughs> She's an enabler. <laughs> She's a feeder and an enabler. And I'm like, <laughs> and you're like, I'm trying to get buff. Stop with the food. I know. I'm terrible. I'm like, I'm like that kind of. I've even got my own food with me today in my bag, you know, and all like. Oh uh, man, it's just how I am. Does that get a bit tiring? Yeah, but yeah. it mentally keeps me. But but it's all part of my what, dog and fried onions. Tempt you? Nah, no way. Wow. It couldn't even tempt me. But it's all part of my how I live. Like I get up in the morning, I go. <sighs> You, now we're going to get into something. I've got Bev into... So I've got a chest freezer in my back garden. Have you? Full of cold water. Right. To, it's at zero To, to get in or to drink? To get in. And we oh. get in there every day. I like get in there at, Yeah. Oh. I do Wim Hof breathing and get in there at half seven in the morning or and seven. It, and it does what? It, there's so much to it, boys. I, I, I kid you. Anyone listening, you, you're going to go... Oh, it's it's a game changer. Bev Bev has done it now for a, probably nine months, and she cannot go without it now. And she's a black woman who hated water. Like she wouldn't even get in the sea unless it was like, but you know, like bath water. Yeah. Now she's yeah. getting in a freezer in her back garden full of water for like four minutes. You're a torturer. That's, that's mean. <laughs> I don't know if you heard. You say you've heard a few of our podcasts recently, but we yeah. we did one good few months ago now with jay morton oh I who did. was he was one of the moles in sas who dares yes and he's yeah, now yeah gone i've on seen him some great inspirational oh, stuff brilliant now jay does exactly this he's got but this is a bit less glamorous this is a wheelie bin yeah dustbin oh he, do, he yeah. fills with water and ice yeah. and he does the same gets in every morning yeah. without fail yeah freezing cold yeah. and he says exactly the same thing now i've done a few steam room to plunge pool type things but it's not a let's wake up early in the morning and get in a cold bath thing but i kind of get that there is definitely an endorphin release there's a there's a it's a shock it's right. a shock but it's also it's a bit like 
the only other way to describe it is if you've done a lot of cardio and you work out and you get that kind of post-cardio endorphin right. rush of like everything just feels so good like anything could happen to me now it is it's a, so here's why I do it I do it for mental fortitude and mental health so I've had a lot of crazy life a lot of stuff you know really bad shit happening you know some amazing stuff too you know what I mean so but I've been through a lot of like battles and things like that so for my mental health getting up at six in the morning doing a bit of breathing stretching movement and then going through something that I do not categorically I do not want to do every day mm. <laughs> I have to fight myself do you know you, <laughs> you do you because yeah. like you know you don't want to your body is saying to you go back to bed you moron <laughs> yeah. you know what are you doing eat some like you know eat whatever just do. but no I get in there and then it's like after that what else can I achieve in the in lot in, and and I put it to the bigger picture what else can I achieve in life after doing that in the morning to be fair right we're sitting here with a man who's just old as he's 45 you look about 30 I'm not oh, I'm not blown you're, right. you're a Thanks. youthful man mm. you're clearly radiating kind of good health and energy maybe Listen, maybe that's you. a part of it I've got to ask you about MMA though because I've always been fascinated sometimes I find it hard to watch it's so <laughs> violent right so when you're in the cage right because I don't know if you've watched any MMA mm, before, John, but yeah. it is savage, yeah, right? Yeah, it's proper fighting. Now, look, we've, we've all been in little bar fights before, and, you know, getting punched hurts. Is it different in MMA somehow? Because you take some serious beating. I think you have to have a couple of... Uh, short of a six-pack to, to, to fight, particularly MMA. Mm. You do. Because it, it's... it's it's uh, it's so visceral. Uh, what I loved about it, it was visceral. It was it was so real. It was mano a mano. It was it was you know for me it was the ultimate form of of test for myself. And that I think that's what it was. Always wanted to put myself through tests, you know, to, to go through hardships to come out to see where you are in life. And I've always wanted to do that. And that was it. I had my own gym in Tottenham, and um, you know. It just it just went from there. You know, I was an idiot when I was young fighting, and you know all that stupid stuff. And then it kind of morphed into that. And yeah, it, it, I don't actually mind getting punched in the face. Weirdly, I never broke my nose. Weirdly, and, and well, I'm, I'm looking at your face like I'm analysing it. it I mean, did you never get punched? Have you had yeah, some I, work done? You've no, got, I've got never got had no any work scars done. No, I never. Yeah, I've got a little thing there, but I. So my first MMA fight, I got a scratch on my face. <laughs> that was my injury. <laughs> I mean, I get, was, I get them from my four month old. Well, that's what I mean. Know. You get worse from your kitten. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And I got yeah. a small scratch on my face from the guy's fingernail. Wow. <laughs> you know. Wow. And that was, but I, you know, I was an old man when I, I, I was thirty two when I started fighting MMA. Well, you wow. know, that hmm. is old because you're. It is really old to start that. Nineteen year olds that are, you know. And I was training with like some savages, you know, like twenty year old savages, and you what know. What got you into it? What was the? Uh, I just. I started um, boxing in my twenties, late twenties. I was I was an overweight kid. I was a fat kid, you know. Um, never never was any good at sport really. You know, I, I played football a bit, but I couldn't run very fast. So, you know, um, not athletic at all. You know, uh, so yeah. I, I in my late twenties, I didn't go to the gym till I was twenty five years old. Not a thing. Wow. Never ate vegetables till I was twenty five, and then everything. I just changed everything. Wanted to. 
you know, I was a massive drink, drugs, the, you know, the whole works. So I just wanted to change my life and I just progressed slowly and slowly, little by little. I couldn't run a, one kilometre when I started at 25 when I went to the gym. What was the switch click that changed it? Um, I think moving away from an, the area I was in and getting out of the, the, the drugs and the drink and all of that and, and just slowly but surely trying to, you know, progress in life and be a better person and be a, to try and do some good for people and, and help people and not be a dick and you know just do bad shit I just wanted to, I, I want to live an amazing life and a you know a, a loving carefree happy life and you know no ego and just all of that that's what I want to do I love this I've got, I got to ask you a bit more about MMA I hope you don't mind no please please I, I, I love it still one of the things that fascinates me this well two of the things really is, is firstly that that pre-fight Getting yourself in this well because you're you're getting into a cage with another. <laughs> I mean, we are human beings; we're animals, right? So you're getting in a, into a cage with another animal that has one purpose and is knock you out. Yeah, do See, as I much put damage it different. as possible. I thought I I put it that he wants to kill me and I've got to kill him. That was how I thought. Right, that was the only yeah. way I could do it. And how do you do that? Because I, I had the privilege of chatting to Tony Bellew for quite a long time. Oh, right. Tony Bellew. Yeah, Tony. Oh, he's a he's. He's got. He's he's no joke. Unbelievable. Yeah, I really like Unbelievable him. Unbelievable. Yeah, I really like him. Yeah. But he had a set routine. He had certain music that had to be on incredibly loud to the point where he's got tinnitus and whatnot. Far too loud in his dressing room. Oh, really? Certain people that would that yeah. would see him at certain stages of his walk on, and yeah. then some alone time and all the rest of it. And it became a fixed routine. Yeah. And if you messed with that routine, it messed yeah. with his fight. Did it? Did you have a similar thing, or I, would you? I, only, I didn't have many fights, so. I didn't get into that routine and I took my fights on short notice as well. The one fight I was supposed to have, I trained 12 weeks for, he pulled out 20 minutes before. Oh. I literally had the most brutal 12 week training camp with like savages. We had this guy come over from Brazil. He was, you know, the film uh, Pink Panther where Kato would jump out. So this Brazilian guy, I'd open the gym and he'd be there and he'd just want to train all day and punch, you know, and he was, a, <laughs> it was insane. And I was a savage for that fight. And then the guy pulled out 20 minutes before. Maybe he'd seen you. Um, he was like, nope, not fighting. Yeah, I, I didn't look that menacing, don't worry. I looked like this, but like, <laughs> slight, a bit more gay because I had like a dodgy haircut. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I thought I looked tough. I was like, trying to look, I've never looked tough. Like, I was going to say, you don't look like I a I don't look tough, I know. You're too, you're too boy band. I know, that. people always say, oh, you're pretty band. boy. Well, you know what I mean? You're, you're yeah, boy yeah, band. People have, yeah. Guy, and yeah. That, yeah. And I, and, and I think that's part of what it was. Some of it was insecurity. Mm. If, if I really break it down and look at... Because this is what I'm all about now, is breaking down my emotions and feelings. Now. What, why did I do it? And it's probably insecurity, you know? And that's yeah. why I was the way I was when I was young, cancer state boy and blah, blah, you know, to, to, to try and be what I wasn't in my mind, you know? And now it's, I don't need to do that anymore. I just want to be me. You know, and and the egoless, you know, no bull, and and that's it. But yeah, but but the MMA. Getting back to your question, but yeah, I think my mindset coming when you go through trauma and battles when you're young, and it made me. There's a darkness to me that made me be able to push through that. Yeah, to fight, to really want to hurt someone. To know that I don't want to kill them, but know that I have to be in that frame of mind to kill or be killed. Jeez. And, it, you know, I've still got it, but it, it, it's way, way, way in the background. And I think every fighter who's really been through, like Tony Bellew, I think, has got that in spades, you know, because yeah. you've been through the darkness 
but you come out of it and I'm, I'm out of that now I'm in the light and it's you know I'm so grateful for everything so yeah my other one and I apologise for this question because I realise it's a bit crass no 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 it's about the finances because everyone hears about the pay packets for boxers you know you hear there's a championship fight and oh you know this guy's getting 12 million for that he's getting 4 million or that's a he's on a 300 grand whereas the guy he's fighting's on you know vastly yeah. more than that whatever but you never hear it from MMA you never know what the spoils are 400 quid I think my first fight I got paid wow and there was so it was uh, ultimate challenge which was cage race Dave O'Donnell and then you have to sell so coming through the scenes like you have to then sell tickets you have to get a load of people there to sell tickets and the weird thing was everyone wanted to see me lose because I was a celebrity how I didn't work because I was Beverly Knight's husband people wanted to see me get beaten up she's in the ring watching she, no, the, the only, funny thing was, the ring, she, the, so the second fight that, that, that the guy pulled out, she was there. The other two that I had, she, was, she couldn't make it because she oh, was really? on stage. So I only had, you know, potentially three foot. I actually had two, but it was three. But as I said, I was old and took them on short notice. So What made you stop? What made you stop? I, I tore my shoulder and then... Um, That'd do it, to be fair. I tore my labrum in my shoulder, but also I realised that getting paid £400 a fight... <laughs> yeah probably wasn't going There's to be substantial for my yeah for, uh, for my life and and you know to try and make a success out of myself business wise probably wasn't the best thing yeah. <laughs> yeah i can i can think of well every other career yeah. that makes more than money but than i absolutely loved it i loved owning my own gym I, i'd love to own another gym i love health exercise well-being mental health that's what i want to morph into one day and do more of that and and try and help people young people kids like me who are angry insecure all of that i'd love to do that in the future but you know that's that that's who who knows we'll see i like this this is this is, this is exciting bless you i'm mindful we've ba- barely said anything about cars we've touched on audi but yeah you say you you have a newfound sort of love and passion for cars we ha- we are at the classic we're hearing some glorious things mm. roar around the circuit despite the rain what is it that draws you in which cars in particular are you drawn to what are you looking forward to seeing here uh, at this wonderful venue and all these cool people that have just come to I, I love the cla- obviously seeing ants um, the car that ant built the alpha that they built out of the shell you know yeah. they make oh, the yes. shell yeah yes. the, um, from the, the MX5 from the MX5 yeah. which right. really yes, interesting yes, yes. which I sat in and you know got really cool thing to do and they even said that I might be able to build it as well yeah so well cool. that's that's the point it's, you know that's what he's creating yeah, yeah. I, 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 I beg to differ well I know I, I don't think I could do it <laughs> either but nonetheless yeah I beg to differ because I'm not great at fix I can fix I can fix like house stuff but a car I'm awful I don't know what it is but anyway um, I, I love I just love the noise do you know what I really like at the moment is I love the the old classics being put into EVs. I know it's a bit okay. There's something really cool about it. I, I don't know what it is. I just think it's a really really cool thing to do. Yeah, the do beauty you know of a classic I, car with yeah, an electric engine. Yeah, I, I mean this with kindness, right? And I realise what I'm about to say might not sound kind, but I mean it with kindness. I've been thinking for ages, what is the marketplace mm. for a classic converted car? Because a lot of people, they love their classics because of the noise, because mm. of everything else. Mm. Yeah. And yet you've sort of spent the last 20 minutes or so telling us about wellness and putting goodness back, etc. And yet you clearly appreciate form. So for me, you are the ideal classic EV conversion owner. And I, and I mean that in a mm. nice way. Yeah, I, yeah, I I've, been trying to picture, I've been trying to work out who is it, because at first I was like, well, it's, it's 
rich guys that want to navigate their way around the congestion charge or whatever mm. or people that want to preserve their EV and still drive it and they'll keep mm. the engine in a garage and they'll put it back every now and again mm. things like that mm. but actually it's also people such as yourself that have an appreciation for great looking cars but are mindful of the planet and mm. Mm. everything that goes with it I think as well I, I like what you just said about the we were chatting last night and um, and Darren who is part of the um, his Radford as well um, about the switchable potentially one day have, being able to switch them out yeah that's mm. exciting to, to be able to switch an EV and to petrol would be I mean that would be amazing it to, won't you know. be it won't be easy or cheap but it will be no mm. yeah and, and but weirdly we were also talking about 280 pagodas last night beautiful cars and I love them you know yeah. I love and I prefer the earlier ones you can get a lot of companies doing the little bit later ones and they're they're restoring them I think a little bit too you know uh, not not saying anything against anybody in Essex, but a bit Essexy. <laughs> I prefer them, you know, a little bit too much, a little bit too over the top. I prefer them a bit older, the older style two eighties, yeah. um, like the sixty three or something, you know. But we were talking about the two thirties and putting an EV in the two thirties, and then would you would the cost then be, you know, what the cost being would there still be a market for it? And just a really interesting thing if you because you know if you restore a two eighty pagoda now. You're gonna get 150 to 180 for it, yeah. but if you put an EV in it, you, will you get that? Because it's not numbers matching anymore. And, where, and, and then you look in. I think it's a funny one. Pagoda is a brilliant example to use because it's not my my big gripe always with the replacement of iconic classic car that usually come with really fruity, exciting engines. Like the idea of somebody taking the 2.7 engine out of an RS, Carrera RS, and replacing that with an EV, that's like you're pouring, you're, you're stabbing me in the heart because that's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. But a Pagoda isn't a particularly exciting engine sound. Exactly. It's just a lovely car that bumbles along. Yeah. So take that power plant out and replace that with EV, and it's perfect. You've got the perfect-looking cruiser. You've got the, the joy of convertible, if you want it. You've got so much space for batteries. That's yeah. what I think. Yeah. Huge battery space. And yeah, I, I think you know there's there's the, there's a time and a place, isn't there? There for is. Eve? That's what I think for EV because we're not ready. Are we ready for them yet? Really no. to to come infrastructure, when, isn't there? Exactly. Yeah. So I think you've got to be clever on what you're doing with it. Like I had um, uh, a, a Mark One Sportline, for instance. You know the okay. the, the V Dub Sportline, mm-hmm. and I love it. The black one with the black. You know, and I, I still that was my car when I when I was young. And I think that as an EV would be an absolute dream. Just, yeah. you know, perfect. So there's things I think would be really good. And then, like you say, yeah. You, you, you some things need to be left alone. I'll, I'll, I'll start up some sort of uh, the leave it, the leave it alone be, club. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what? That would be great. A list of, like, do not <laughs> yes. touch. Yeah. Under yeah. no circumstances <laughs> is this power plant being and removed. You, like, literally, yeah. you get, like... Yeah. Ten car people turn up on your door and just beat you to death. <laughs> if it happens. Well, if, if one of them's an ex MMA fighter, <laughs> suddenly right, we're, we're going to start this together. Suddenly yeah, you've no. got the reinforcement. <laughs> Who says so? Well, this guy he gets yeah. in a cage for four hundred pounds <laughs> and will fight you to the death. Isn't it? Oh, don't. It's for, but yeah, no. It's uh, but yeah. I like. What's know. he driving? Tesla. Oh, <laughs> isn't, it? isn't it? Yeah. Amazing. Uh, hey, listen. It's been really fun, oh, guys. 
I thought we were going to grab like two minutes about why are you at the classic, but yeah, it's, so- it's descended into fascination. <laughs> sorry, I'm before sorry we, I ran on a bit. Before hey, we wrap up, though, before we wrap up, I, yeah. I'm genuinely, I've hit subscribe on your podcast because I want to oh, hear a few more. Thank you. I really like the idea. Just talk us through the format of that podcast. You mentioned it's plus one and you being a plus one to a thank massive you. global sensation like Beverly Knight. So you're yeah. talking to other plus ones, is that yeah, right? Yeah, so uh, it's, it's a tricky uh, subject matter because to try and find plus ones to get in touch with them is, is tough so to to try and get plus you know people's partners who are in the public eye their partners sometimes they don't want to talk yeah so it's finding people i've had some amazing people so i've had some people who are have stars as their other halves and they're they're stars as well but their star is you know not as bright not level. as bright yeah. now or they or they were or they and it's been amazing i've had some amazing people mm. um that i've you know, stayed friends with and and just grateful to have. But, but yeah, the, the the premise is is that you know I always joke that I'm the plus one, and it's just finding out other plus one stories. How do they deal with being in the shadow? Mm. How do they deal with the craziness? And 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 to be honest, sometimes we just talk about nothing for twenty half an hour, an hour, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And you know what it's like. You just yeah. go off on a tangent. Yeah. But that's the whole point of podcasts, I think. Sometimes they just... And it's not about the celebrity or anything like that, but you find out... It's about the conversation. Yeah, but you just... It's about going... We go behind the curtain a little bit and find out their lives and, you know, where does... Who who really has the power, you know what I mean? Who... Mm. And that's why I like to find out is like, well, who makes the decisions? Who does this? Who, you know, do you help with their life do you you know and and that's what fascinates well me. and also people are intrinsically fascinating you yeah, know we yeah. you and i had a had a very fleeting hello outside the truck yeah. and here we are an hour later I, and we've uh, talked about micro prawns on planes <laughs> mma fighting and ev conversions yeah oh, don't I forget mean, the ice bath and, the, yeah. and, an, and an ice bath <laughs> i mean Dude. tick 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 you tick. guys are amazing Boom. so thank you oh, for thank you, you. the podcast is brilliant and you guys are killing it so thank you James. thank you so much Bless for, you. for having you can me come guys back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. give me like 10 yeah happy days man thanks happy guys. Days. and there's james that was quite nice wasn't it and i i said it in the podcast i said that i would be uh, downloading his podcast and i did and it's brilliant so please, I urge you, go and look for it. The Plus One Podcast. It is brilliant. It's in all the usual podcast places. Same, same sort of place as us. So uh, yeah, go and check it out. Now, last but by no means least, it is a legend, an absolute legend of motorsport, both as a driver and for a lot of us as a commentator as well. The voice of Martin Brundle is a voice that you have all heard for years and years and years if you watch F1. An absolutely sensational commentator, an absolutely fantastic driver as well. Let's end this week's podcast with Martin Brundle, and I'll dive in for a quick final goodbye afterwards. I'm very pleased to say John Markar and myself, well, we have a racing icon with us. It's Martin Brundle. How are you doing, Martin? Very good, actually. Yeah, it's been a treacherous day, I would say, here with the track conditions and trying to find our way around. So I'm not sure I enjoyed splashing around the track as much as I thought I might. But we're all in one piece. Cars are still got four wheels on them, and we're, we've, we've got reasonable grid positions for Saturday and Sunday. So I'm kind of moderately happy. You see, what I like is you're still speaking like an absolute pro racer. You're speaking like a, this means everything to me. It's not just flexing my muscles and having a laugh. This is proper racing, isn't it? It, it is, yeah, and you, and you can't mess around. You know, you're still doing 150 miles an hour down the straights and, you know, splashing through the puddles and aquaplaning. And, 
But I'm really pleased to hear you say that because that's how I think. I, I mean, I've been doing TV for a quarter of a century now, but I still don't think myself as a television person. I'm a racing driver who does TV now, sort of thing. So, in it, and yet I get super competitive, uh, which is nice. I'd like that to fade away a bit, but it won't. So I'll, so I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, there's the added dynamic as well, which is great fun. Good friend of ours, friend of the show, Alex, your son, will be on track with you. Any mercy, or is it all out regardless? Oh, no mercy from him at all. No, he, he wants to beat me fair and square, but <laughs> he also knows that if he wants to win anything, I've got to be quite handy as well. So he, he'll share as much information as he can. But no, th there's always been a, a healthy, competitive edge between us, whether we're karting on holiday or doing track days or at a race. But it's Team Brundle, and uh, there's, um, you know, there's no I in team, as they say, but there is a me. You're still you're still competing lap times, though, aren't you? To be fair, you're still checking who's got the best. Well, I'm I'm delighted to say I'm still just about fast <laughs> enough at 62 years old for him to keep a bit of an eye on my lap times. But otherwise, no. Alex is he's a pro driver. He's half my age. He's young. He's fit. He's fearless. So, um, I. You know, if, if he doesn't trim me up, then I'd be rather shocked. <laughs> we were chatting with Ollie Webb earlier, who I believe is racing against you. And we were saying to him, you know, who's, who's out on the track that you are acutely aware of? Your name and Tiff came up. Are you mindful that despite the friendly nature here, you are racing with a target on your back? I think there's no doubt about that. Yeah, somebody would like to talk about having outbraked you into a corner or... Uh, I don't think they want to knock you off, but there's... Yeah, they're, they're, they know you there. I think also the marshals keep an eye on you, and so I, I, I fear that track limits, for example, I have to be <laughs> a, a real goody-goody on that sort of thing. <laughs> What's so special about the Silverstone Classic? I mean, we've spent the whole show talking about what a remarkable and brilliant event it is, but there is something about Silverstone in particular and the vehicles that show up. Why do you love it? Well, I'm going to be really honest, it's the first time I've ever been uh, really? to this oh, event. Wow. Yeah, because normally it clashes with the Grand Prix, as it indeed it does this weekend, but uh, I, I've elected to be here. And I've heard lots about it. I know Goodwood Revival quite well. I've not done a lot of historic racing, but I say Goodwood Revival probably most of the time. And so it's, you know, it's a bit of a carnival, isn't it? I feel so sorry for everybody that this should be like the you know, the best garden fate in the world today. And it's sort of blowing a gale and, you know, raining sideways. But hopefully it'll get better as the weekend goes on. And yet people have still shown up. Yeah, there's a good number of people here. And, you know, and all the all the cars over in the middle, all the, the motor clubs and, uh, you know, there's so much going on, not just on the track. And, it, you know, it's wall-to-wall -wall track action for good measure, isn't it? All sorts of brilliant cars. Cars I've raced before, cars I wish I'd raced before. Yeah. Is this one of the things, because they're all here, and because, of course, let's be fair, you're Martin Brundle, you can kind of show up to most pits and kind of say hello, and chances are you might get offered a bit of a spell in the car. It doesn't work like that. You know, <laughs> these guys book, buy cars to race them, and they've got their favourite people. And I'm delighted to say I've barely been approached in the paddock by any competitors when they're just doing their own thing. They really don't care whether I'm here or not. They just want to, you know, do well with their cars, keep their cars in one piece and hope they're reliable. It's really nice. I can just stand by the car and think about things and watch the watch the action. What have you spotted that you would like to go in though if you could? I love the, the old Bentleys. Um, I'm not sure I want to be going. Yeah, something like that. The, uh, the old Bentleys, or I mean, I've got a lightweight E-Type and a pre-63 E-Type. 
that's a really good start. Alex is Lola, he's out in. Um, that's a cracking car, I'd like a go in that as well. Um, so the Batwing, Batmobile, whatever it's called, BMW, I think yeah. that looked great. Um, just about everything, to be honest. John, we saw something pretty special, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, it stopped us both in our tracks, the 250 bread van. It's just so casually parked under what looks like a lean-to, effectively. Yeah. That's the wonderful thing about events like this, isn't it? You have yeah. some of the most iconic racing cars in the world, and they're just parked up beside some Marshalls Ford Mondeo. And I know, and worth a fortune. I, I, I've driven Nick Mason's 250 GTO at, at Goodwood, and that's sort of $50 million worth all day long. And you're and you're busy, you know, on full opposite lock in the rain at Fordwater or something. Thinking, <laughs> what does that do to you as, as a driver? Because of course you want you want to be competitive, you want to set a good time, you want to win, obviously. But at the same time, does that number, does that thirty to fifty million pounds, is there just money kind of circling your imagination at the same time? You've got to you've got to think about it. I described it in an article afterwards as like you know doing 150 miles an hour with a Rembrandt underneath your arm, <laughs> and that, that's how it felt. And Nick Mason read that, and when I drove it the following year, he was he, I was testing one morning, in it, giving it a bit of a practice, and there was Nick. I, I wasn't expecting to see you. And he said, oh, I just want to have a word, you know. I don't want it looking like this when it comes back, necessarily. What, and it sat gleaming. Mm. And I said, what do you mean you don't want it looking like that? He said, a few scratches or dents, I don't mind. Oh I read, I read what you said, you know, go for it. I'd rather you didn't roll it over if you could help it. <laughs> uh, but I really respected him for that. He was yeah. like, you know, I hear what you say and you, you, you treat my car preciously, thank you, but don't be scared of having a bit of a go in it. If it gets a dent in it, then no what problem. A cool, I mean, that's a proper rock and roll thing to say, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it is. Isn't I it? thought you were going to say, I saw Nick Mason and he, he had a Rembrandt under his arm for me. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a nice touch. As well, <laughs> <it>? but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I've got I something think, for you. Yeah, did he pay 79 grand for that or something? He traded it, didn't he? He traded, yeah. he bought something in order to be able to get to yeah. that car. Yeah. And then I think he wasn't expecting to keep it. It took him by surprise. And I think when it turned up with the number plate 250 GTO on it, yeah. it was even more of a surprise. Mm. Like, can you imagine that by itself it's worth a fortune? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Who would have thought it? Yeah, um, Martin, what's next? You're of course you're part of the joy that is the current Formula One season, and I'm assuming your plans will be aligned with that for the foreseeable. Yeah, I think my next Grand Prix I'm at is Spa, which I'm really looking forward oh, I love to. Spa. And, yeah. um, Formula One are pretty determined to have 23 Grand Prix this year, so I've got, I think I've done eight, I've got another eight or more. I'm doing 16 races now, it's not feeling like quite enough, it was my decision, because I wanted to do a few more things like this, and I took my motorbike down to Ricard and across to Austria, yes. and just, just a few more things like that, but um, whenever I'm not at a Grand Prix, I sit and watch all the sector times and all the laps, and as if I'm there. You so might as well I be might there. Well be there. Yeah, yeah. I won't be doing that uh, Saturday and Sunday here, that's for sure. No, no, for sure. I'll race each day. There's a rumour that there might be another F1 race here at Silverstone later in the season. Have you heard anything I along think that? I'd be surprised now. I think that one has passed. Who knows? Um, we might have to double up. I mean, we're on some of them, but will we be in Brazil and Mexico? Will Will we be in Japan? You know, uh, who knows? Uh, that's a that's a daily juggling act. That's uh, thankfully not my problem at the I was moment. I going to say someone else's headache. Yeah. What what I do know is I don't book any flights or hotels other than flexible ones because yeah, it's just right. it's just a movable feast. Yes, it's a mad world, isn't it? Mm. Um, Martin, I'm mindful that you have to get on stage, but I appreciate you fitting us in. Thank you for talking to us. No problem. Good to see you. And there we go. That's it. That is this week's 
podcast. Thank you so much for sticking with us. I know that we are one of a, a great, great big handful of automotive podcasts that come out every single week. And we are always absolutely delighted to be ranked above the great and the good. Really, really, really chuffed. We are consistently now up in the top 20. And for the past few weeks, we've been sat in the top 10 of automotive podcasts in the UK. And I know that we have multiple higher rankings all over the world as well. Places like Italy and Norway and the Czech Republic. We've recently been uh, up in the top three, two, and even had the, the pole position as well. So uh, thank you. Wherever you are listening to us in the world, it means a lot to us that you do choose to select us. And I'm sure along with uh, a good selection of other automotive podcasts as well, it means the world to us to know that so many of you are listening and so many of you are enjoying. You can show your appreciation, of course, as always, by leaving us a little five-star review uh, or just putting down some nice words in the review section if you can do that, if you have the facility and the time to do that, that uh, that does wonderful things for us as well. Uh, but for now, I will leave you and say thank you once again for listening. Remember, if you want to give us any other direct feedback, you can do so via our social media feeds. We are at Driven Chat across all the social media feeds. Uh, or if you just fancy a good old-fashioned email, why not send us an email? Podcast at drivenchat.com. Podcast at drivenchat.com. Com. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for including us in your routine. And we look forward to bringing you more of the same next week. All the best. Bye-bye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Oh, wow. You've made it to the end. The very end and it's john markar here again reminding you that this podcast the driven chat podcast has now run its course and has come to an end to find the new format search the driven podcast in your preferred podcast app or head on over to the website driven.site to find some quick and easy links through to the new episodes in the new formats on your preferred apps thanks bye